Welcome to Mike's Notes. Today we are going to try to answer the question, how do you solve black box problems? How to solve black box types of problems. This question came to me as I was reading the blog of Penelope Trunk. She wrote an article there titled, Search is the Most Important Academic Subject Today. And she explained in that post, quote, So instead of wasting years teaching kids to memorize answers, why not move on to teaching kids to ask better questions? Because that's what searching is, ultimately, learning to phrase a smart question, end quote. And Trunk's comments made me think that um, facts aren't all that important anymore. It's easy to come by facts, or at least it's easier to come by facts. You don't need to know how many feet are in a mile. Uh, what's more important is thinking beyond that about, well, how do I smartly fit things into a mile, or... Um, or why is, why is a mile an important measurement? It's things like that. And I'm not the only one that has shifted my thinking this way. Uh, Cal Newport, Tyler Cowen, and Peter Thiel all talk about this in their respective books, which are linked to at thewaiterspad.com if you want to see what uh, those examples specifically are. And so if thinking is important and asking questions is important, uh, especially more so than facts, how can we do this? How can we build this skill? I remember being in school and memorizing state capitals was like a contest that people got into. And that's not really a valuable skill anymore, but thinking specifically about states or knowing about states is much more important. And the way that we can apply this skill, the way we can grow this, is if we learn to fermiize problems. Now, before I explain what fermiize means, we're going to apply this to three different areas in this podcast. And the three areas we're going to answer are all questions. First one is, how much data does Google have? The second question, when will I die? And the third question is, when will the, will the Cleveland Cavaliers win more than 57 and a half games this year? These three questions provide a good staging ground for how to fermiize problems. Now, the term Fermiize was introduced to me in the book Super Forecasting by Philip Tetlock, and he writes that, quote, what information would allow me to answer the question, end quote, is the way to Fermiize. So you're breaking down these black box, these hard questions like, when will I die, or will a basketball team win more than so many games, by trying to figure out what the parts of the question are, and then you decide what parts are actually answerable. So... Think about death and when someone might die. There's a lot of things you don't know, like if an airplane would crash or someone would get in a car accident or some other freak, unexpected thing would happen. But you do know that if they're a relatively healthy person, the average life expectancy is into the 80s. This dovetails nicely with a, uh, an idea from Ben Horowitz, which he writes about in his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Horowitz uh, was facing a situation where his servers were too slow. And that was the main crux of their business, was providing 
good server services to clients. Uh, he remembers, he recalls sitting down in a meeting and they talk about a silver bullet approach, just one thing that would solve all of their problems. And one of his uh, advisors said that there are no silver bullets to this problem. You have to take a lead bullet approach. And black box problems are like that. They are lead bullet approach problems where there's no simple thing or no simple way to get an answer. There's no way to Google the answer to a black box problem. The way you do it is you break it down into little problems, start to solve those, and then you can go on and apply the culmination of your answers to your black box problem. Now before we get started, before we actually solve these three black box problems we have, we need to get in the right mindset. When I first started coming up with examples for this post, I thought about how much Google data might have, and I thought, well, I have 8 gigabytes in my Gmail. I have 8 gigabytes in my Google Drive account. I have this, this, and this. And pretty soon, I got overwhelmed with the amount of information I was going to have to collect about Google. And I wanted to sort of give up on this project. But I started to reframe my thinking, not as solving this problem, but figuring out a puzzle, or a maze, or a gem. And a lot of people do this. Richard Feynman uh, said that when he decided to play with physics, it was like uncorking a bottle rather than doing physics. So the key thing was not to think about this is a task that needs done, rather this is an opportunity to solve a problem. Rather than obstacles, think of these as opportunities. So, we're ready to start. Question number one. How much data does Google have? Luckily, we don't have to answer uh, this question. Someone else has done all of the work for us. That someone is Randall Monroe. He's the author of the What If Comics Online that combine stick figures to answer really hard problems. And he did a 2014 TED Talk where he talked about this. And what's notable isn't so much the answer that he got, but how he, got, he came about getting that answer. What Monroe did was he looked at how much money Google spends, which they disclose on some of their uh, tax filings. He looked at the entire hard drive market. He figured out how much square footage Google had in some of its facilities, and then figured out how big a server rack was and how high you could stack servers and so forth. And so by breaking down the problem into these smaller parts, or at least looking at these smaller parts, Monroe figured out that Google probably has about 15 exabytes of data, which he says is more than the NSA. He figured out a black box problem that is how much data does Google have by figuring out the smaller parts of it and then putting those back together. Another back black box problem is when will I die? Well, this question actually happened to uh, academic Stephen J. Gould and he writes, quote, in 1982 at age 40 I was diagnosed with abdominal mesothelioma, a rare and quote, invariably fatal form of cancer, end quote. He writes that in the book Full House and what Gould writes this in his book, Full House, and he does the same thing that Monroe does for figuring out how much data Google has, even though he wrote the book a decade before Monroe gave his TED Talk. Uh, this is Gould again, quote, All the literature contained the same brutal message. Mesothelioma is incurable, with a medium mortality of eight months following diagnosis. Okay, Gould thought, if it's eight months... What goes into that eight months? Why is that the answer? 
So uh, he started to look at other factors. Quote, I realized that all factors favored a potential location on the right tail. I was young, raring to fight the bastard, located in a city offering the best possible medical treatments, blessed with the support of family, and lucky that my disease had been discovered relatively early in its course. End quote. So Gould has figured out, he's teased out the other factors that go into an answer. And Gould ended up living for 20 more years, which is a conclusion that he came to uh, when he was doing those computations, when he was figuring out the other factors that answered his black box, quest, black box question of when will I die? Our third black box question is how many games will the Cleveland Cavaliers win? Uh, before the 2015-2016 NBA season, the betting number was 57.5 games. That is, if you went to Las Vegas and you thought the Cleveland Cavaliers were a pretty good team, you would bet that they would win over 57.5 games. So, Bill Simmons talked about this in his podcast, and he says that it was a lock they would win less than that. Why? Quote, it scares me a little bit when guys in the NBA have bad shoulder injuries, end quote. Simmons says that he was worried about Kevin Love's shoulder and the injuries. He also talks about LeBron James's potential for injuries. It's been 13 seasons, and he hasn't had a major injury, so there was a chance that would happen. He also uh, wondered what it would take to get the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. That is, how uh, how often would the Cleveland Cavaliers have to play their best players and able to be the number one seed? It could be the case that their competition wasn't very good, and so they would be able to get the number one seed quite easily. So Simmons has broken down his black box question into uh, how likely are injuries, what is the competition like, and other things like that. Note that for all three of the examples we looked at, Monroe, Gould, and Simmons, they break the black box questions down into smaller parts, and then they look for factual answers to each of those parts. They don't make predictions. They don't guess. They find facts. For Monroe, he figured out how much square footage a server rack took up and how many of those racks could fit in a warehouse. Gould read medical journals about mortality rates and got hard figures for how long people lived. Simmons cites past seasons for teams with LeBron James when he talks about how many games a team with LeBron James might win. This is really important. Um, a Charlie Munger quote says this really well. Quote, projections are put together by people who have an interest in a particular outcome, have a subconscious bias, and its apparent position makes it fallish. They remind me of Mark Twain saying, a mine is a hole in the ground owned by a liar, end quote. So Munger is noting here that you don't want predictions. You always want to go with facts because predictions can be wrong in a number of ways. More recently, Melody Hobson said much the same thing. She was explaining why her company bought Madison Square Gardens, and some people were looking at the record of the New York Knicks and thinking that maybe it wasn't that good of a purchase. But Hobson turned the question around and noted that her company had data on season ticket holders, and season ticket holders were always re-upping. The value wasn't necessarily in the winning record. The value was that it was the New York Knicks. So even though it may not look like the team is doing well, the season, season ticket data says and shows that they are doing well. So briefly in summary, the three steps to fermiize a problem well, a skill that will be more and more important. One, don't be overwhelmed by complexity. Just take things one bite at a time. 
imagine that your black box problem is just like a giant Lego castle that has to come apart piece by piece. Two, filter out what is knowable and what is unknowable and focus on the former. Imagine that your Lego castle has many color bricks and the blue ones and the red ones are represent questions you can specifically answer and all the other colors are things that are unknowable. You really want to make your blue and red piles not have any other color in them. And three, find factual answers for questions in your knowable piles. If each blue and red block represents a question that you can definitely find an answer to, then make sure that when you find those answers, you use hard facts. This was another edition of Mike's Notes. Thanks for listening.